everyone welcome to this week's episode of chatter from the underground i'm amber one of your hosts here with me this week are cool breeze java and your friendly bartender nick uh as we've been discussing the last few weeks we've been talking about conspiracy theories that turned out to be true uh so far we've talked about a number of things but here to introduce us to this week's topic and some of the facts about it is nick well, hey, everyone. Bienvenue and welcome and pull a stool on up. I'm going to serve you a little bit of uh, one of the beauties about this recipe that I pulled up. It's actually uh, beyond a theory where this is something that's documented history. But uh, when we got some underground chatter, we're trying to figure out just uh, was this right? Was this something that happened that produced so many things and that we're still uh, reaping the rewards, benefits, but maybe even some of the implications of was Operation Paperclip, uh, one of those things that was a surmounting all-around applause-achieving uh, achievement, or was this something that should maybe be uh, filed under the, eh, we should have known better. So I'm going to ask a few questions as I pour some rounds and get some shots ready to rock. So hypothetically, uh, viewers, my friends sitting around the round table here at Chatter from the Underground, Cool Breeze, Amber and Java, you're out in the woods and uh, you're alone and uh, you see a grizzly bear. It's charging at you. It's hungry. It is uh, glaring its teeth. It's looking at you like you are the McRib and you got sauce all over you. You see a uh, shotgun next to you. You think it's all right to grab that shotgun for defense, my friends? I mean, Please. yeah. Absolutely. Trust me, there's no way this is going to get uh, a little more difficult with the easy answer. Throw it on out. What do you think, Amber? Cool breeze? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Hey, I totally feel you. Hey, nothing wrong there. So now uh, let's change it up just a little bit more. You're wearing a, a uniform now. This is a uh, allied uh, soldier's uniform. Bear is charging at you. It's hungry. It's got its bib on. It's uh, ready to rock. And it's uh, seeing dinner time. You're looking uh, down in the forest. And instead of seeing a shotgun, you see a Luger. Uh, you're going to grab that Luger to shoot that bear? Or are you going to say, eh, you know what? I think it's running towards a butterfly behind me. Considering that Bear was on a lot of drugs and well-trained, I am running. Yeah, hey, there you go. <laughs> and running to auction, I'm saying, hey, I'm not that hey, fantastic. There's an option, too. I'm not saying you have to go grab that uh, German-made Luger right beside you, but I'm just saying, you're sitting there in the forest, you're standing there, situation's there. Viewers, uh, listeners, and my co-hosts, what's the answer? And I'm not saying anything's right or wrong, but... Are you guys grabbing that uh, German-made Luger while there's a bear charging at you ready for dinner? I mean, if it's within, if I can get to that gun and shoot it first before, you know, running, because I'm not going to outrun a bear. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, hell yeah, I'll grab a gun. 
And it's right there. Absolutely. And, and good question. It's right there beside you. It's uh, it's inches away. Will Breeze, what are you saying? That's the only thing we have then. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Because I think bears can run like 25 miles an hour, which I can't run that fast. So I'm using oh, like, hey. the first the only weapon I can find. And you know what? Let's sweeten the situation up. All of a sudden, you know what? You're actually, uh, you can't run. Let's take running out of the equation. You know what? You are actually an allied soldier. You're in a uh, German forest. Uh, the, the war is clearing on up. World War II is looking like uh, victories in hand. But, uh, you know, we're not exactly pinning medals just yet. We still have a long way to go. That grizzly bear is running at you. You're disabled. You're a disabled allied soldier. You're looking to grab a Luger beside you, but you know what's attached to that Luger? There's a Nazi attached to that Luger. Now, uh, attached to that Nazi, and it's the Luger, and it's, uh, that Luger can defend you. Uh, now, here's where we're going to ask some uh, deep questions as we prepare for Operation Paperclip. I want to know. Um, he's, the, he's looking to surrender to you. Now, say uh, we get into the implications of maybe uh, he deserves a on-field execution. Maybe he should be cuffed right away. Maybe you should be telling him as the rules of war are to drop that Luger and get down where all of a sudden you and neither of you guys have defense while a bear charging at you. This uh, Nazi is who's surrendering to you should, you know, moralistically, ethically, or just in the heat of the moment, are you going to say, Hey, defend me from this grizzly bear that's charging down on you or lay down your arms and get down and let this grizzly bear have some dinner time. That and is again, actually very morally. Uh, that's a good question. Um, and I think I see where you're going with this, but yeah, I mean, sure. if that if that Nazi is there and he can fight the bear and help you out, then uh, you know what? I'm probably gonna let him help me out. Hey, right there, there you go. Um, and and again, that's where those questions. That's where you're you're gonna think a little bit more. You're gonna think a little bit more and weigh the decisions. But guess what? This grizzly bear coming at you, he doesn't care what uniform, color, or flag you're wearing. He doesn't care what you've done. He cares that the McRib is back in town and you guys got barbecue sauce all over you. How about yourselves, Amber? Cloberies, what are you thinking? We deal with the bear mm. first and then we figure everything else out later. I think so too, yeah. Take out the biggest threat first. Hey, I'm right there with you. Now, uh, on the other side of the coin, actually, let's say on the other side of the forest, on the other side of this crazy situation, one of your allies, hey, the world's uh, still going on. World War II is still happening. Uh, nobody's uh, popping champagne just yet. We see uh, one of our allies. He is an ally from uh, the uh, Soviet Union. He's, uh, you know, he's uh, a comrade. He's, uh, you know, got a nice little flask of vodka ready to celebrate afterwards. Uh, we're thinking, hey, this guy, uh, you know, he's an ally. You know, he helped us uh, get through this. We're not uh, through yet. Now, all of a sudden, and, uh, you know, I've decided, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm going to say, uh, hey, uh, Werner. You know what, I need, while you're surrendering here, I need you to defend us, and we're going to deal with this afterwards. But you know what, we have an imminent threat. Grizzly Bear is running down. He's got a bib on. He is ready to rock. He's calling his friends, and it's barbecue season. Uh, now, all of a sudden, we got our comrade going, hey, uh, Werner, actually, surrender to me because uh, I, uh, I'm taking over. Um, now, all of a sudden, are we going to fight over getting the defense of this enemy from our friend, what would you do? Tell me, what are you guys going to do in this situation? This crazy situation, bears charging at you. You're pulling. You're having to grab a surrendered. No more threat. But at one point, hey, he was our enemy to defend ourselves against a new enemy, and maybe our friend who also might be our new enemy. What do you do? I'm not sure there is a right answer to this. No, there's there's so many moral gray areas that I mean. 
from the perspective of a military, a superpower, obviously they're going to do any kind of anything they can to get the, the step above or the advantage over their enemies. Even, you know, possibly uh, becoming friends or signing treaties with uh, questionable or suspect possible allies. I think that uh, it's kind of one of those, uh, which evil's worse at the moment? Instead of like, you know, not, you know, two evils, but some evils aren't quite as bad as others. And obviously, as we stated long before this, the only real motivation behind all this is putting money in their pockets. Hey, when it comes all right down to this, uh, the absolute bottom line, double zero, and uh, answer of all of the meaning of life, absolutely. Hey, number 42, it's a dollar sign in front of there, I sincerely believe. And uh, you guys have all pres- provided the uh, best answers I could possibly hope for is there are no right or wrong answers, absolutely. And uh, trying to paint this whole situation, you're going to have to be mixing a lot of white and black to make a uh, whole lot of gray. And that's why... Uh, I wanted y'all to gather around the underground lair as we dive into one of history's most intriguing and morally ambiguous chapters. It is, of course, Operation Paperclip. And uh, getting a little less abstract, picture this. The smoke of World War II, it is clearing. And the United States, in a race against time and in a race against the Soviet Union, decide to um, recruit collectively 1,600 German scientists, engineers, and technicians. And why did they why did they do this? Very similar to the scenarios I just played out. They want to gain the upper hand in military technology and eventually the space race without even really knowing it. Uh, here's the kicker. There were no ordinary scientists, of course, and many had dark paths intertwined with Nazi Germany's war machine. So uh, that's what I'm here to... Uh, I want to ask these uh, hard questions. The... Uh, questions that have been reverberating throughout time we're still dealing with these moral uh, implications and uh, it's not so much what's right or wrong uh, java you mentioned it absolutely spot on it's um we didn't have time when you when you're facing down a bullet if you're trying to beat a bullet do you have time to weigh how fast and how strong and how big that bullet's coming or do you just have time to go i'm going to move left or right i don't care what's left or i don't care what's right or wrong and that's uh, what it all comes down to i think oh yeah absolutely i i agree in that situation it's it it sucks that you have to actually go, hmm, it's me or the bear that you have to actually be, you know, think about yourself in that situation. But like I said before, the situation like that, dude, I can't I can't fight that bear. I can't outrun that bear. So all I'm thinking is fight or flight. It's me or that bear. Oh God, there's a big ass gun right here next to me. Guess what that guess where that gun's going? Uh and looking at uh now looking at the implications and the aftermath, uh little interesting things I did here and uh read about were um when it came to the scientists coming over to America, they were a little more apt and enthusiastic about coming over to the States and getting pardons. And, uh, well, we're not going to get into biographies of every single uh, Nazi SS and uh, German scientist who did come over. The notable ones did have huge, huge roles in NASA, space exploration, uh, technological advancements, and uh ultimately in helping the west uh win the cold war so looking back at it uh, it's in hindsight it almost makes it look more quote-unquote right and moralistic but again who are we to say who are we to judge uh the communists when they were bringing the nazi scientists over their attitude was a little different uh they looked at it as um 
them bringing the scientists over was their right. It was the spoils of war. And these Nazi scientists were paying their debts off to society and therefore the world by helping communism and therefore the world advance. And that was an interesting little, uh, a little angle that I did think. So there's something to discuss as well. I think that does make me wonder though, you think about it after watching, uh, some of the, the, uh, Marvel and the Avengers and all that kind of stuff, like the movies where they had the, uh, they kind of talked about, I hinted toward operation paperclip and, you start to wonder, though, like, yeah, like you said, they're probably they're paying off their debt to society in, in essence, and they're trying to do to help out whoever their their keepers are. But at some point in time, they, they couldn't have always been just like, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? These are people that killed mercilessly or un, un, unmercilessly, you know, just because they didn't like a person. And you know, or, or like a, a specific group of people, so it makes me wonder if there weren't some like underhanded intentions coming from some of these uh, these uh, Nazi scientists. Let me uh, bring Coolbreeze uh, in. Uh, the quote I always hear, and this is a quote that I like to apply to this: "The enemy of my enemy is my friend." What do you think when it applies to communism, Nazis, and the Western Allied powers? Yeah, it's one of those things where they're looking at: Can these people help me? Or are they better off in jail, dead, or whatever? And there's not too many people that could do the things that they could do. You know, it's not like these were just day laborers. You know, not like this job's not important, but, you know, it's not like they're just day laborers that can swing a hammer. These are people that are solving complex math- mathematical problems that only a small handful of people in the world can do. So it's like, as much as you want to not put them in a position of power, they are better off helping as opposed to putting them somewhere where they can't help. Kind of like how they do now when they catch hackers and they're like, hey, either go to jail or come work for us to secure the NSA or whatever, that that type of thing. Totally feel you. And I, uh, I totally see what you're saying. But uh, to look on the other side of the coin, uh, you know, hackers aren't responsible for a massive genocide. But on the other side of the coin... They have the ability to do so, and that's where it gets into this extremely murky and muddy uh, moralistic waters that uh, while they were, you know, the government, the U.S. government, the Western allies were often shunned publicly by some very uh, high people back in when it did happen, when Operation Paperclip was made public, and to the government's uh, credit, they actually made it pretty public as it was happening. Uh, they didn't actually sweep a lot of it into the uh, Folder to be discovered 25 years later. I'll give them credit for that. Uh, uh, coming to a uh, very, very hard question, though, is basically, um, is there, a, and, you know, this is one of those things where there's not going to be a right or, right or wrong answer, but uh, is there a degree of something as terrible as Nazism? Is there a degree of saying something as terrible as, we'll say, of course, the worst degree being Adolf Hitler, but can there be such thing as the degree of the the janitor of a factory at a Nazi uh, war machine clinic where he was put a gun to the back of his head and said, sweep this up uh, or we're going to kill you and your family starves. Uh, so basically it's like, it comes down to it, you know, can there be a degree to such a terror? Can there be a degree of the devil? Well, I, I absolutely mean, agree that, oh, I'm sorry. Definitely. Just all we have to do is look at wars throughout the world since 
And I absolutely agree with you. I think uh, when it comes down to it, you, you can't paint everybody with that same black or white brush. And that's why that uh, that color, that's why the term gray exists. But uh, the term, and I, and I, and I'll, I'll, I think I'm not going to go on any hot takes, and it probably should be expressed right off the bat. Here at Chatter from the Underground, we do not in any way, shape, or form endorse Nazis. We are going to go with a extremely not hot take and say that any way, shape, or form of Nazi and National Socialism is absolutely bad. I think I can all agree. We'll all say the vote, Nazi is terrible and bad. All right? So just to get that out of the way, just in case there's any uh, non-clarity. All right? We'll put that stamp. I agree. I agree. Yes, very much so. Yeah, just in, just in case there's any kind of confusion, there's, there's absolutely no defense whatsoever. Uh, I fully do, uh, endorse the Nuremberg trials, and that's where we get into that. Um, uh, do, uh, just just uh, for the sake of uh, getting a little bit of history out there, does uh, anybody here know what the Nuremberg trials were? Uh, yes, actually. Nuremberg is where the trials took place, which is what they were named for. But the trials were basically the... You can't exactly say Nazis, because there's no way we could have tried everybody who served the Nazi party. Right. But it was a board from all over the world that tried several of the leaders of the Nazi party, or several of the more prominent members of the Nazi party for war crimes. Exacto mundo. It was a very figurehead trial where they were taking down the the heads of these... uh, the sects, the heads of the SS, the the generals, the people. Uh, when you hear of that classic defense of "I was only following orders," well, they were taking down and putting on trial the people who were uh, essentially giving out these orders. Uh, so, when I look back at some of the Operation Paperclip players, we do have Werner von Herzing. He was the uh, head of uh, NASA for a while, uh, to the point where even to this day. There is an award given throughout NASA uh, with his name on it. And uh, he was one of the, as it seemed to be, uh, gun to the back of your head. Either do what we say and help us develop these weapons or, uh, you know, enjoy your early uh, bullet to the back of the head retirement and your family will probably also get the same treatment. And again, I'm not looking for a yes or no answer. And this is one of those hard questions, but uh was he right in going, all right, I'll sign that Nazi paper and uh, flip these test tubes for you? Or, no, go ahead, go ahead, give me that bullet. And, uh, yeah, my family, yeah, you know what, uh, no more Mick ribs for them. What do you think? And, again, this is obviously not a yes or no question. I think that really does go back to what you said before, where, uh, you know, is every person evil that was on, in the Nazi party, like the janitor that was tasked to, uh, you know, mop up the floors or whatever? So that does raise a, a, a moral question is even though they were part of the Nazi party or worked for the Nazis, did they have the same outlook? Did they have the same beliefs or were they just, like you said, had a gun to their head forced to do the work for them? And I think that's a huge difference between, you know, Hitler and his inner circle of, you know, generals that were, that had the same beliefs and, 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 you know, their outlook on, on people and things like that. So it you can't, I guess you can kind of put them all into the same grouping of being a Nazi. But I think, I think being a Nazi is more a choice oh, hey. in how you want to, you want to view things like, you know, your, your belief, maybe you're even, even, even a religion type thing, but not everyone is evil. 
And that's the hardest part about this whole scenario that took place in real time in front of our grandparents' eyes is, um, you know, our uh, former prime ministers, presidents, and generals had to make these decisions while also realizing that there were also grizzly bears surrounding them in this forest. They might have seen one grizzly bear with its teeth bared. They might have seen two. They might have been able to handle one or two. Maybe they didn't see one. Maybe they saw one in the distance. It could have been a uh, puppy or a deer, but it's the uncertainty. And it's what the other person is doing. It's what the enemy is doing. And it's what the person who you don't even know is your enemy. This all stems back to the cloud of the Cold War. The Cold War, the uh, Iron Curtain was drawn. Uh, so we have ethical dilemmas that were profound. On one hand, these scientists contributed significantly uh, significantly to uh, advancements in rocketry and medicine, and even the U.S. space program. On the other hand, their pasts are marred with involvement of horrific war crimes. So, yeah, and then when you put it all in that big bubble, that big, were they right to be picking these uh, these scientists and such, then you also look at, and if they didn't, their potential enemies were also stockpiling, taking them, making advancements, quote, making new weapons, which is really what it all comes down to. Uh, and that's one of the things I just think is unanswerable. And I think that's actually the answer. I just want to know what they're putting in the damn water in Germany, man. Why is every freaking, like, the top scientists, the smartest people in the world come out of Germany? What are they feeding these guys? Well, hey, you know what? And uh, even one of the more, more amazing things uh, that I kind of almost, it, it slips your mind almost, but uh, say a certain gentleman, um, say this, uh, you know, he's the more famous of these people to get out, uh, Werner von Braun, and I probably butchered his name many, many times, and I think I called him different names, but it is Werner von Braun. He is the, um, he's the main uh, the figurehead, the poster boy for Operation Paperclip. There's many others, but he was the uh, one to get out to the U.S., and apparently he was a bit cocky about it. Apparently he was a bit uh, had a bit of a rock star mentality. He had a bit of a uh, uh, while uh, while you know Berlin and Germany was crumbling around him. He was uh, brushing off his resume, going, uh, you know what? I got my uh, pick of the litter. I'm the toast of the town. I'm gonna be sitting back in New York City, and they're gonna be uh, serving me some Stiegel. And uh, you know what? I'm not worried. And uh, Hockey or not, uh, right or wrong, uh, like the man's name is still on an award that uh, NASA gives out to its brightest stars to this day. And uh, that does have some rippling implications as to what uh, the Western civilization and the U.S. does think about the remnants of Operation Paperclip, I do believe. Yeah, and I think you just got to look at the people who are in charge. Like, what was their goal? And do they care how they achieve that goal like does the ends justify the means because it's several people who believe if we have to take out a couple people to get where we want to go then that's okay then it's some people who believe no we can't do any of this we got to do it the right way and if those people are in charge then that shows how it goes like if they decide of course they did all this stuff over there that's another country but if they can really help us move to be number one in the world based off you know medicine and space and all that then why not use them why not take advantage of it you know i mean we we weren't the ones that made them do this stuff but we can use them so might as well and i think that's just where they lean to 
Well said. What you actually just said actually reminds me of a, a quote uh, was that Operation uh, Paperclip is a highlight in the fine line between moral integrity and strategic necessity. And what you just said actually really wrapped that up into a bit of a nutshell where, uh, yeah, again, uh, you know, uh, I can't say I, I agree a thousand percent with every single thing because it's one of these uh, one of these events in history that are by our, our forefathers and uh, everybody had to make this decision, but they had to make this decision, not in a scenario or a podcast or a, uh, a historical fiction in the future, past or present. They had to do this thinking that the potential enemies who they didn't even know were their enemies, who they were still allies with in a war against their shared enemies. They had to start planning against a potential war for technology that didn't exist. When it all comes down to it, it's almost amazing that we're all still here sitting here doing a podcast and that not this entire earth is a big smoldering nuclear crater. Things definitely could have gone very different. What was so important about these scientists that everybody wanted them anyway? Great question. Uh, and Germany has been, and, uh, and it was also brought up uh, that, uh, and what was so amazing and great and what's in the water in Germany, uh, besides the facts that they have, but uh, as uh, Nick the bartender, I will say that Germany produces some fantastic kick-ass beer. And as a Canadian bartender, I'll say that uh, you want to have a good time and uh, not remember yesterday, have a Canadian beer. You want to not remember yesterday, today, and tomorrow, have a German beer. But uh I think that all goes to say that Germany was always a uh, a hub and an uh, and a center of education, smarts, and brilliance in uh, Europe. And uh, let's just say, getting back to it, another gentleman um, didn't get out ten years earlier. Let's say one of the most brilliant minds of our generation, uh, and possibly, arguably, the most brilliant mind, is a famous guy. You've heard his name. You might know the name I'm about to say, but. Uh, there is a man who got out to the States 10 years earlier. He saw the writing on the wall, the same wall he was writing, E equals MC squared on. He saw that Germany was doomed. He got out. He got to the States. If it would have been 10 years later and we would have taken Albert Einstein over as a uh, Operation Paperclip uh, spoil, much like Werner von Braun, would he still be echoed in the echelons of brilliance just as he is now? as a Nazi scientist taken over, as opposed to a willful and uh, very, very enthusiastic fleer of Nazi Germany. In case I didn't say the name, it is Albert e. Einstein, in case I didn't say the name, I'm sure, for all the people yelling at their iPhones and Androids. I mean, it, there's no real way to know, is there? Um, exactly, and so there's no real way to know now, so was there? Could there have ever been a real way to know then? Like, 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 uh, like, almost. Uh, you know, we're we're looking, we're creeping up on a century afterwards. We're well, creeping up. We're we're looking at that. So imagine trying to answer these questions now that it's happened, and where we've seen a relatively, to a degree, positive outcome to what it could have been. Uh, even more amazing is they had to make these these decisions on the fly without uh, foresight and. That's where I think uh, the people who throw the terms right and wrong and uh, no, we, uh, and when I say we, this as a Canadian, I say this as an ally, we sheltered the enemy, we, we rewarded the Nazis. That's where I say, we didn't know, we couldn't have known, you can't know what you don't know. Now that we know, maybe we were kind of on more of the right side than the side of wrong. 
I say we were when it comes to learning things about space exploration, rockets, uh, propulsion, things of that nature. But from what I understand, everything that those, uh, you know, paperclip scientists was like, that's where all the beginnings of atomic bombs, hydrogen bombs, all that stuff began. And it's almost like, it's like we got a, uh, we had extremely intelligent, extremely bright, like genius level scientists working on rocket propulsion. They, you know, they work for NASA. They started, Na- you know, work for NASA in the beginning, taught us how to go out, go out into space. At the same time, they also taught us how to make ridiculously destructive things that could, that could quite easily end the world. And that's where I absolutely couldn't agree more with you. It's the unknown. The unknown is the fear, uh, even uh, very, very effectively and possibly in the future Oscar award winning film of Oppenheimer. Many things we pulled out of that three and a half hour movie about the uh, decisions and implications about the atomic bomb. And uh, I think the biggest theme is the unknown that these uh, scientists, many of whom were part of Operation Paperclip and a fantastic movie that I recommend on a a different uh, podcast for movies, I would highly uh, do a deep dive. But uh, Oppenheimer actually does deal with a lot of these amazing moral quandaries where uh, these men to try to end a war with one or two swift blows instead of a thousand cuts that might have resulted in many more deaths also had to deal with the unknown that this bomb could light up the atmosphere and therefore blow up the entire world. And at what point do you say, maybe we shouldn't even test this bomb? Or at what point do you say, you know what, let's go for it. Fingers crossed. Yeah, and that's what pushed them to want to include those people. Because like I said, you know, people were like, why would they even use them? Because it's not that many people in the world that are that smart, that can figure stuff out. And so it's like, if you know some, then you start looking at, well, if what they did was so bad. But then you got to remember, I mean, America wasn't the beacon of moral integrity at that time as well. You know, just look at the way they treated minorities here in America. That's not something that, I mean, it wasn't like they treated everybody fairly and were great. And then they decided to just take in some people who were morally reprehensible. You know, the government, like how we, um, we spoke about in our last podcast um, in about, I'd say about 15 to 20 years after this happened was what we spoke about last week uh, with COINTELPRO. So they were doing stuff like that to people in their own country, assassinations, things like that. So it's like it's not a stretch that they would welcome people like the Nazis into it. It's not. And when it comes to the war efforts, the United States was definitely not blameless. Um, Not once they entered the war anyway. There were a lot of things that we did that uh, have been glossed over and forgotten by time, but the Germans weren't the only one with cam- ones with camps. Ours just were not quite as bad. Oh, and that's the thing where it comes down to it, right? Um, uh, we've I've uh, heard it mentioned here in this podcast tonight, where the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. But uh, you know, we can all uh, quote that fantastic Spock quote, and we can all put it on a. Uh, piece of paper on our locker room get a tattoo it on our tricep and say hey i'm edgy and cool but where do you draw that line because as amber said absolutely it was happening in the u.s it happened in canada uh when you know when pearl harbor happened all of a sudden uh you know the japanese sushi place you went to a week ago was all of a sudden being boarded up and that family is being thrown in a camp uh on suspicion of 
being Japanese? Like, absolutely. Yes. Where do you draw that line? Matter of fact, my grandmother was in one of those camps. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, but it it also wasn't just us. You know, yes, the U.S. and Canada had them. Germany had some of the worst. I would argue that Japan's were the absolute worst of all. Um, but that's getting a bit off topic. Um, going back to these scientists, do you know what they were working on before they were picked up in Project Paperclip? Uh, absolutely. Great question. Uh, so uh, while there was uh, not one collective project because uh, the Nazis were fascinated in everything from uh, biological and chemical weaponry, uh, Hitler was uh, very, very famously uh, fascinated with the occult and things like uh, the Spear of Destiny and even things like uh, Satanism and uh, hexes and curses. And of course, they had uh, bomb ballistics and rocketry, which uh, did translate into uh, the NASA program. Uh, Werner von Braun was very instrumental and a forefront leader in the V2 rocket technology, which turned into being the forefront and uh, most successful and uh, basically what is pretty much the basis of NASA's rocketry. It is the V2. So, yeah, they were all involved in, and of course, uh, you had your um, uh, angel of death, you had your terrible atrocities where, uh, you know, everyone from twins to, I won't even say it, uh, you know, uh, horrible, horrific things that uh, shouldn't be mentioned were happening. So, a wide plethora of uh, science, but uh, with, uh, you know, 90% misery and uh, pointing towards death and destruction there was some uh, positives that come out of this uh, research. So yeah, that's, uh, that that's what was happening uh, in a nutshell in Nazi Germany uh, during World War II. Now, all of these scientists, even before they joined up with the Nazi political party, um, which existed before what we term the Nazis, um, were they already working on the same stuff? And that's also a fantastic question. So, um, so a good portion of them, some of them might have been involved with um, everything from like you had uh, uh, Goebbels, which, uh, you know, uh, uh, sorry, I'm going to get some of my name mixed up here and some of my pronunciations. But the main one was uh, Braun, who was involved with the rocketry, the V2, and went on to NASA. But you did have some of them who were involved with um, human atrocities. I do believe that most of them were rounded up in the Nuremberg trials. However, I do know that some of them did escape to Argentina, and I believe, uh, and I said his name incorrectly, and it is uh, Joseph Mengel. He is the angel of death. He was the one who was very, very famously yeah, involved in some extremely disgusting human atrocities uh, that are unimaginably disgusting. He did manage to, I believe, escape, um, and I would like to believe that if the U.S. had their hands on him, there would be no justification in saying, no, no, he's working for us now. Like, uh, I do, from my research, do know that, or do believe that the scientists that uh, the U.S. and even the Soviets brought over weren't the ones committing biological and murderous atrocities. These are the ones, um, and again, that's where it gets into some gray area and uh, uh, ethical and moral uh, dilemmas. These are the ones behind the ones, behind the ones, behind the ones, and, you know, uh, just following orders. And again, so yeah, that's uh, 
it, when it comes down to it, it's a wide variety. And it seemed like when the Soviets were grabbing as many scientists as they could, the U.S. were kind of just grabbing also. It was actually, it was a bit of a free-for-all. It was almost like, it was you know what? It was almost like uh, the draft. It was like the war draft where they, uh, the Soviets and the U.S. were grabbing as many as they could while the war was still going on. So they were dividing up the spoils of war, quote-unquote, if you want to call it that, while the war was still going on. So you had uh, a, just, uh, what the, it's the definition of a clusterfuck, pardon my language. I would definitely say so. Um, some of the reading I did uh, seemed to hint that uh, most of these scientists were already working together long before Hitler started coming into power, even as early as pre-World War One. for some of them. Now that is and some then, amazing stuff. We're already working on rocketry and whatnot. Um, and that a lot of them joined the Nazis because, well, the Nazis were where the money was. And if you're going to experiment, especially on something like rocketry, you need funds. You know what, Amber? That actually makes uh, even more sense than I think anything I've even said tonight. Like, uh, when you think about Nazi Germany or even any country, Iraq, Iran, these places with bombs and technology, you think of... Uh, Oh, the Nazis came to power and they set up these bomb factors and uh, Saddam Hussein came up into power and he came up with these chemical chemical warfare places. But you know what? A lot of these places were probably factories that already existed. They were probably already places that might have been uh, not nefarious and not negative places. A lot of these factories, they might have been government workers working for the very, very positive and peaceful governments. Just the two governments before the Nazis took over. Absolutely. Like, you know, that's actually one of these things I've never really even heard of is uh, factories and uh, scientists and workers and brilliant minds uh, who were there before the Nazis even existed. Like, what were they doing? And, you know, maybe there should have been uh, systems in place to prevent them from being taken over before it even was the threat. And that's absolutely a pretty fascinating angle that I've actually never even uh, heard considered in this whole uh, debate. The best part of it, most of the research they were doing on weaponry and rocketry for the Nazis failed. The V-2 rocket was designed first as a weapon. It did end up being a very, very instrumental rocket and uh, technological advancement for the uh, space race, for NASA, for uh, some of the amazing space and technology we're seeing now. This uh, rocket that was designed as a weapon killed 20,000 people uh, and was never actually deployed as a weapon just in this development. So you're absolutely right. You couldn't be more right about what you just said. So you're right. Which means that at the end of the day, it was just a giant sinkhole for money. And honestly, considering everything that the Nazi party managed to do during the war, I'm okay with that. <laughs> And that almost comes uh, right back perfectly to the uh, thing that Java said in almost our very first minute was uh, the root of all conspiracy theories, problems, solutions, and everything in between is the almighty green money. Makes you wonder how much we were paying these people when we brought them over. Absolutely. I don't, I don't even know if we were paying them as much as we were probably uh, housing them, feeding them, keeping them safe, things like that. I, I'd say these people weren't like free to just... Uh, you know, run around in public. They were probably uh, housed in, uh, you know, secret areas that weren't, you know, accessible to the normal public. So, uh, 
Yeah, from what I gather, some of them were privately kept off, but uh, the ones like, uh, like I said, uh, uh, Braun was uh, very rock starish. Like these guys were uh, coming up to, uh, you know, they were pulling into uh, NASA's, uh, you know, warehouses, NASA's uh, development and laboratories. Like they were, he, he was, he carried himself like a rock star. It's the kind of thing that, um, if you could see it now in hindsight, you'd be like, "Are you kidding me? He's doing this?" But in the bubble of when it was happening, it was, you know, it was, there was no real celebrities. There was no, like, there was nobody filming him, uh, you know, uh, with their, uh, on TikTok going, uh, Nazi scientist shows up to new job, like a rock star in Alexis. Like, no, that wasn't happening back then, but apparently, yeah, apparently he was a bit of a cocky prick like that. Pardon my language. Once again, I can't help but wonder how much worse it all would have been if something like TikTok existed back then. Oh man. Now there's a podcast, TikTok during the World War. Damn. Or even at any time in history. Damn, I know there's a ooh, there's there's a two-parter. I I might have an insane amount of random history facts in my brain, but I think I'll pass on that one. Yeah, good call. Well, I'd like to I'd like to think uh I would like to think that uh with TikTok being in the past uh, yeah, you know, it, it would maybe uh, make for a little bit less, uh, I don't know, less conjecture, maybe a little bit more historical accuracy. If I could maybe throw a positive out there, I don't know about that. Yeah, you're right. It's the internet. Everything's evil on this. Yeah, you're right. TikTok wouldn't lie to us. But as we uh, kind of get into the, uh, we're wrapping it up. And uh, again, I, I really appreciate uh, you guys letting me ponder some of these questions, do a little bit of chattering from the underground and bring it up to the main uh, floor. Because uh, these are these questions that are still to this day, still asked about what was right, what was wrong. And uh, part of me wants to say, well, uh, uh, the Soviets didn't get the bomb before us. Uh, MAD, or I guess they did. It was happening before that. Mutually assured destruction, the Cold War, and everything in between. When it all comes down to it, like the Soviets broke up. Uh, we didn't get bombed to oblivion. Myself as a Canadian in uh, the capital region appreciates that. Uh, you know, these spies and uh, crazy things that I hear about uh, during the Cold War and everything in between. It did fizzle out relatively uh, well, knock on wood, I guess, better than it could have. I guess when it comes down to it, the alternate would have been total nuclear war and annihilation. So uh, can we look back and it, it can it, is it a controversial statement to say? Is it wrong? Is it right for me to even say that? I guess because we're still here and we didn't get uh, annihilated post-World War II, can we say that? operation paperclip was a success is that wrong to even say that can we morally say that because uh this is going to be a hot take i want to say i guess it is a success if we're all sitting here if the soviets have broken up and nuclear armageddon didn't happen uh am i wrong to say that is this a hot take please let me know i i think the question i want to hear you guys's answer to more is if we knew everything we do now about all of this would you still go through with Project Paperclip if it were your call? Oh, man, that's a good one. I don't know. That's that's one of those things where he said, uh, like he said, well, if that's the question, it's like, well, depends on what answer you're looking for. If you're just going straight for, we want to make America a great comp- country, you know, move it up to number one, you know, the, the tip of the spear, then yes, it was a success. But if you're on the other side and you're like, uh, we can still do good without having to do bad, then uh, no, it wasn't a success. But like 
what Amber was saying, if we did know, would they still have done it? And I'm 100% sure they still would have because they knew that they needed to get ahead and they knew that these were people that could help them get ahead. And it's, it's easy to turn a blind eye when someone else is doing the dirty work and you just, uh, you know, helping to do stuff behind the scenes. But I think they definitely would have done it. Would you have? Me personally, I don't think so. I don't think I would because I I would have to believe that there are people out there who are on the right side of things that were smart as these people. We just had to find them. Like it was just one of those things where they knew where people were at the time, and they're like, "Let's just go with these people." And so, but me personally, I I'd, I'd want to think that I would say, "No, I would not have done it." And hey, you know what? Please, Java, you might better look quiet, my man. Let's hear from Java. This all depends on when you say what I've done it, do you mean me specifically or do you mean me as an American soldier after World War II or not necessarily American soldier, but someone in like, you know, the president's cabinet or joint chiefs or, you know, people that are trying to get a tactical superiority or over our other potential enemies or to try. If I was in that position. I'm pretty sure that, you know, if that, if that was me back then, yeah, I probably would have still done it. Me personally, as I am today, I'm not a soldier. I'm not trying to rule the world. I'm not trying to make billions off the, the death, deaths of millions. So no, me morally, I wouldn't do it. But as a soldier or a general or, you know, someone higher up than that back then, most likely, yeah. Sure, and that's where it comes into that extremely twisted and uh, part B to that question is okay, whatever, whatever you do, whatever you say or wrong, uh, extreme zero to one hundred percent, whatever your answer is, you got your uh, buddy with his uh, hand behind his back, uh, his fingers crossed, going, yeah, whatever you do with these uh, brilliant minds, yeah, you should punish these guys and do whatever, but. Uh, they're also uh, grabbing these guys and throwing them off into their football team and uh, going, uh, all right, uh, what you're doing for uh, your boss or your boss now, and you're going to do it for us and uh, chop, chop while we're on the other side of the coin going, uh, you know, moralistically, these guys should be punished. Let's throw them in jail. And that's what it all comes down to. And I want to wrap it back right to the beginning as we uh, seem to be wrapping it up because it's one of the uh, beauties and the amazing things about a topic like this is I don't think it could ever be ended. I think it's got so many nuances and uh, it's got a thousand uh, shades of gray to it where uh, it'll never be properly answered. It's uh, one of those things uh, I, on the left side, am thankful I wasn't one of the people who had to make that decision. And on the right side, I kind of wish I were one of the people who had to make that decision. Uh, so uh, please, uh, Amber, Cool, Breeze, Java, last thoughts on operation paperclip and where it might fill into uh, some of our future topics here on chatter from the underground i mean personally i can definitely see us revisiting this while we've covered everything at a high level historically and just conjecture wise this topic goes so much deeper absolutely it was one of those things that even doing research for it every single thing i could look into it even uh, like i said uh, von braun himself is so fascinating with his attitude towards the whole th- attitude towards the whole thing and his uh his uh before and after uh the fact that albert einstein both directly and indirectly uh falls into this the implications towards the uh uh, nuclear bombs uh, dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, respectively. You're absolutely right. It's uh, it's a topic that uh, 
could go on for hours. And uh, but, uh, just in a nutshell, and trying to wrap it up, uh, just love uh, anything uh, you could think of as far as uh, future topics. I uh, I thought uh, the uh, rumblings of a little bit of uh, ultra topics might be coming our way. Oh, definitely. Colbrius, what about you? Last thoughts? Uh, I would say this is like Amber said, you know, we talked about it last week, the same thing. Once you get into it, the more you find the different tentacles it goes into, it's like, man, it's so deep, way deeper than you could ever imagine just from just off the basic, you know, the top, like the tip of the iceberg is what we talked about. So this could definitely flow into much deeper topics, more intricate topics. Definitely. Java? Um, I couldn't personally, I thought I was wrong in thinking this, but I thought that Project Paperclip somewhere either directly or indirectly led into the beginnings of what became MK Ultra, but I could not find definitive info saying that, you know, some of the German scientists came over here like a, like a, the, the angel of death. I thought I was under the impression from years ago that he might, some of his, his experiments had led over into what our next week's subject's going to be, which is uh, the beginnings of uh, Project, Project Artichoke leading into MKUltra. Well, uh, here's the uh, amazing thing about uh, where we're sitting at. We're sitting underground and seeing the amazing tunnels and uh, connections made. And uh, while you said there might not be a direct connection between uh, these things, yeah, the underground and uh, behind the scenes is there probably is a connection. So... I think the challenge and task that we're going to come up with for next week is finding where uh, Operation Paperclip may or may not have uh, directly or indirectly through trust, deception, and conspiracy theory might have uh, added to this recipe of, let's just say, uh, soup of this trust that we're all choking back on right now, both as a Canadian, American, and everyone worldwide. You know, I think I know how it happened. Or how everything is connected. Please. So from Project Paperclip, we go into the Gulf of Tonkin incident, right. which leads us into the Vietnam War. After Vietnam, we get COINTELPRO. From COINTELPRO, we definitely lead right into MKUltra. That's so a basically connection it, right there. Yeah, an indirect connection, but it's one, one of those where uh, everything leads to everything else by so many steps. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're only off by like three steps, so that's not bad. Mm. True. It sounds it sounds like we are at a really good stopping point for tonight. I so, agree. For our listeners, if you have questions or if you have topics you want us to cover, email us at chatterfromtheunderground at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And uh, next week, as Java mentioned, we'll be diving into MK Ultra and some of the many many tentacles that lead out from that one. In the meantime, have a great week.